Good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, we had a great week this week at Vacation Bible School. I just wanted to, just before we jump into what we're talking about today, I went home Thursday night and uh, me and, and me and Sherry both were worn out from, uh, from spending a whole week Sunday through Thursday at Bible school every night and it was really good. We had a great group of kids, an amazing group of volunteers. If you volunteered this week at, at VBS, I want you just for a second just to stand up right where you are. If you'll stand where you are, if you volunteered at all, good job. Give these folks a round of applause. And there's others, y'all can sit down, there's others that, uh, that volunteered that are also working with the kids today, so they're like gluttons for punishment. They did it all week, and then they're doing it back there today, and, and Ashley, uh, Ashley Teams was our VBS director, like Donnie mentioned a while ago, and she did a fantastic job, just really, really did well. Uh, I want to give you a number here as far as um, one of the things that we do every year is uh, they do what they call a penny war. And it's, it's, a, we, it's a way to raise money, and they do it boys versus girls. And so, you know, the kids, like, beg their parents every day for all their spare change, and the boys want to beat the girls. And I think before this year, the girls were on, like, maybe a two- or three-year winning streak, so the, girl, the boys really wanted to win. And I have the results of the penny war right here. The, uh, the girls raised $76.34, and the boys raised $82.85. So the boys got a victory, yeah. It's awesome. But here's the best thing about that, is that money was all raised to go to Ronald McDonald House, and, uh, and so it's a total of $159.19 that our children raised this week for Ronald McDonald House. So that's the best news uh, about all of that Penny War stuff. So, uh, but it was a really good week. Uh, I'd encourage you uh, next year, if you didn't volunteer, to, to, if your schedule's free, free it up, be there next year and help out. I promise you that you'll get blessed more by helping uh, than, than you'll, you'll be blessed more than a, more of a blessing than you can be. You know, we think, I'm going to go and bless these kids, and you do that, but then you come away and you feel more blessed by them, by just getting to spend time with them and hang out. Um, I want to continue our uh, series of messages that, that Blake started last week. Blake did an amazing job. If you, uh, if, you haven't, if you weren't here last week, or heck, even if you were here, go listen to it again. Go on our, our website. Uh, freedomfellowshipsc.com and, and go to the podcast section and, and listen to, uh, to Blake's message from last week. Uh, let me just say this real quick. Um, one of the, I have people from time to time who think it's kind of strange that me as the pastor of this church that I don't mind letting Donnie and Blake preach so often because there's this old, you know, there's, I grew up in churches and maybe you did too and the pastors were like, I'm protecting my pulpit, you know, I'm going to preach here 51 weeks out of the year and maybe 52 I'll leave to go on vacation after the service, you know, that kind of a thing. And uh, listen, I just want to tell you, we've got two guys on staff here that can seriously, seriously bring the Word of God and it would be uh, a disservice to the gift God's given them and it would be a disservice to you as a congregation if I were to say, hey, Y'all, I'm going to do all the teaching because I'm really pretty daggum good at it, right? So I just want to tell you that, that uh, get ready to hear more of them. Uh, we've already divided up the, uh, the teaching pretty much from now to the end of the year, and you're going to continue to hear them. And, uh, and it, it blesses me because there's weeks that I can sit and listen and learn like you do, and, uh, and I hope it blesses you as well to hear the different perspectives from, uh, from all three of us on what God has to say through his word. But Blake did a, a great job last week. Be sure you check that out. Uh, today we're going to be in the book of 2 Kings. So if you've got your Bibles, 
um, turn to 2 Kings, that's in the Old Testament, you'll find it conveniently located right after 1 Kings. That's kind of cool the way that works out. And, uh, but if you don't know where 2 Kings is, look in your, your table of contents. It's nothing to be embarrassed about, about having to do that. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up here on the screen in just a minute. But we're, we're continuing this series of messages called Amazing Stories and, and, and uh, just some stories in the Bible that you read them and there's just some weird elements to them. There's some things that you're like, man, that, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen anymore and it's kind of strange. And, and so, uh, so we're going to uh, read another story like that today and I'm going to kind of talk through it. And, and there's a, this is a story of, of really two miracles that happen in this story and we're going to talk about what that means for us in today's world, and, and today's story is uh, the, the the kind of the main character of today's story is a guy named Elisha. Now, um, some of you might be thinking, "All right, Cliff, you just mispronounced that. Didn't you mean Elijah? No, I mean Elisha. Um, it, it's it's a he was a guy that that was like a protege of Elijah. You've probably heard of Elijah. You probably have known people who've named their kids Elijah. I doubt you've ever known anyone who named their kid Elisha. Maybe you have. I, I haven't." And so Elijah was this prophet of God who was known as being extremely powerful. You might remember the story of Elijah and, uh, and there were these prophets of Baal and, and they were saying that Baal was a real God and Elijah was like, man, Baal's a punk, he's not a real God, only the, the God of Israel is the real God. And, and so they said, all right, we're going we're gonna to build this big altar and we're going to call down fire from heaven and the prophets of Baal tried and tried and Elijah comes out and he prays to God and fire falls down, not only burns up the altar, but it burns up all the prophets of Baal and people were just burning in flames and it was this amazing story and it shows how powerful Elijah was. God had blessed Elijah with this great spirit of power. Well, Elijah was, was going through his, his life, the, doing the traveling prophet thing, going from town to town and preaching the word of God. And he came across a field and there was this, this, this young guy out there using a, 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 a team of oxen, Jake will like that, and he was plowing this field using a team of oxen. And, and Elijah looked at him and said, that's the guy who's going to carry on my ministry. So he goes over to him and tells him, I, you're, going to, you're going to go with me. You're going to be a prophet of God like me. What's your name? And the guy's name was Elisha. Kind of weird. It'd be like Donnie saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm Donnie Kaufman. I'm going to continue my ministry. And here's a guy named Danny Kaufwoman. And she, he, he's going to, he's going to learn from me. And so, so that's what it was. So, so Elijah gives his ministry over to Elisha. And, and here's the cool thing too. And, and this doesn't have a lot to, to do with what we're talking about today, but let me just hit on it for a second because I love this story of Elisha. Before Elijah was taken up to heaven. Now you notice I didn't say died there. Elijah didn't die. He was taken up to heaven. And if you don't know the story, go, go in the Bible and read it for yourself. It's pretty cool. But before Elijah was taken up to heaven, Elisha said to Elijah, he said, I want to ask you for something. I want a double portion of your spirit. It's a pretty bold thing to ask. Because remember, Elijah was powerful. And so Elisha's saying to him, I want a double portion. What you've been able to do, I want to be able to do twice as much. And I want to tell you, if you're in here today, you're a teenager, you're a young person, that's what you ought to be praying to God that you can do, that say, I know I've got godly parents, I've got parents who love Jesus who are trying to teach me, but I want to be able to do twice as much for the kingdom of God than even my parents did. That's what I pray for my own daughters. I pray that anything that I do for the kingdom of God, anything that I do for, for the church of Jesus, that my daughters will be able to do twice as much as me. 
that they will have a double portion of any kind of spirit that I have. And so, so Elisha asked Elijah for this double portion of God's spirit, and so Elijah's taken up to heaven. So Elisha begins to do what Elijah did, and he's the traveling prophet now, and he goes from town to town, and he blesses people, and he curses people, and he, and he gets to preach the word of God, and everywhere he goes, powerful things begin to happen. So we're going to look at a story about Elisha. So go ahead and turn to 2 Kings. We're going to start in chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Kings 4, 8. And I'm just going to kind of read along, stop after a verse, talk a little bit, and, uh, and, we'll, and we'll go through this whole story. And this is a really, really cool, interesting, kind of weird story. 2 Kings 4, 8 says this. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So this was a good deal for Elisha. He's a traveling prophet. Good to know, hey, anytime I'm swinging through Shunem, I got a free place to stay. They take good care of me. They give me something to eat. It was also good because being a traveling prophet and having the, uh, the uh, uh, um, uh, reputation as hanging around with Elijah, there were probably some people that didn't want, like, dude, I don't want you in my house. It'll probably get burned up from fire from heaven. So, so it was a good deal for Elisha. Verse 11, one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his ser servant, Gehazi, by the way, let's just stop there for a second. If you want to name your kid a biblical name, why not go with Gehazi, right? You don't ever hear that. To me, Gehazi sounds like the name of like a rapper or something, you know, like, dude, have you heard the new track called Gangsters from Shunem by Gehazi and Moneymaker Mike? It is dope, you know, whatever. So, but I don't know if Gehazi had a rap career or not, but, but he was the servant of Elisha. He said to his servant Gehazi, Call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. In other words, I got a good man who takes care of me. I don't need any of that stuff. Verse 14. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well... She has no son, and her husband is old, if you know what I'm saying. So she was good to go, but he couldn't make things happen for her. Y'all are so funny, y'all are like, should I laugh at that or not? <laughs> Some of you guys, it might be a little too close to home. You're like, eh, that ain't funny, Cliff. Verse 15, then Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. Now, what the way she responds is so surprising here. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. That's a very surprising response from a woman without a baby. Because... It's natural for women to want children. Just about every woman I've ever known, it, it, until she has a baby, there's a longing there to have a baby. And, and this, this woman was no different. She had this longing to have a child. And, and what made it worse for her is she lived in a culture 
that, that at that time, if you were a woman who was unable to have a baby, you know what they said about you? They said you were cursed by God. So not only did she live with the disappointment of not having a baby that, that a lot of women have to live with, but she also lived with the shame of knowing that every time she went to the market, every time she went to church, every time she got together with friends, she was thinking, people are looking at me and saying, I'm cursed by God because I'm not able to have a baby. And then the other thing is, is she's probably knowing it's not my issue, it's that I got this old husband. And, but she's wanting to be faithful to him. So why in the world would she say, you know, Elisha, uh, Elisha's the man of God, Elisha is powerful, he makes things happen. And he says, listen, this time next year, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, no, no, no. And I think the reason why is because she did not want to get her hopes up and be disappointed again. Chances are she had been praying for a baby for years. Nothing had happened. She might have even had other prophets or, or other pastors or, or guys who called themselves holy men of God come to her and say, you want a baby? God's going to give you a baby. And so she thought about that and she depended on that and she was banking on that and then it didn't happen. And so she says to him when, when Elisha says, you're going to have a baby, instead of saying what most women would do would be, oh, a baby, yes, and start crying and start painting a nursery. Instead of doing all that, when he says, you're going to have a baby this time next year, only she can, only thing she can think is, is I cannot get my hope up only to have them dashed and to be disappointed again let me ask you a question have you ever felt that way have you ever been in a in a situation where 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 there's something in your life that's that's empty and maybe you've you've heard a promise from a from a pastor like me you've been to a a sermon and and you heard me say something you heard donnie or blake or another church and you heard us say this is the promise of god and god's going to do this in your life and you want to believe that or, or you're reading the scripture for yourself which i hope you are on a regular basis and you're reading the scripture for yourself and you come across and there's a promise in there and god says i'm going to do this for you and you read that and you want to believe that but the experiences of your life have been so difficult that when you read it, you think, ah, I want to believe that, but I don't want to be disappointed again. I don't want to get my hopes up one more time, only to have them dashed and to go through the depression and the difficulty that comes from that. See, sometimes this life that we live, it takes us to that place. Verse 17, let's continue with the story. I love this, how it starts off with but, because she said, no, I don't want a baby. And then verse 17, but the woman became pregnant. You having a baby. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. And, and just so you know that daddies have not changed in the thousands of years since this was written, what does a daddy do when a sick child comes to daddy? He said, go see your mama. All right, verse 19. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. I can't do nothing with this sick youngin'. I got work to do. Verse 20. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. So after repeated disappointment, after years and years of praying for a baby, she finally gets the gift that God wanted to give her in a baby. And before that child even is old enough to get a car or 
have a date, graduate from school, he dies. And it happened at noon, in the brightest part of the day, was her darkest hour of her life. She held this baby boy in her lap, and he died. So verse 22, excuse me, yeah, verse 20, no, verse 21. This is interesting what she does here. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God and quickly return. And the husband's like, woman, we don't need the preacher right now. We need the mortician. He says, why go to him today? He asks, it's not the new moon or the Sabbath. And look at how she responds. She says, it's all right. In the midst of her darkest tragedy, she's still holding on to hope, still wanting to believe that there's hope there. And so the question that I want us to think about today as we continue with this story is, what do you do when it seems like that the promises of God in your life aren't being fulfilled? I mean, this, this Shunammite woman, she received a blessing from God in, in receiving this child, but it seems like it was just a partial blessing because when you receive a child, when, you know, I, I can remember when, when our girls were born and, and they put them in my arms and it's, that moment is so wonderful. And then, then the longer you hold them and the longer you raise them, you start having dreams for them and you think about, man, one day they're going to do this and they're going to do that and they're going to get married and they're going to have grandkids that are going to come to my house and it's going to be, you know, you, you just go through the, all this stuff in your mind. And this woman was probably no different, and so she had received a blessing from God, but it seems like it was just a partial blessing. And it seems like at best the, the promise of God in her life wasn't completely fulfilled, but only partially fulfilled. And so what do we do in those kinds of situations? That's why I like it when verse 23, she said, it's all right. Like, it's going to be all right. I believe that the, the God that gave me this boy and the God that took this boy away from me, he can give him back to me again. That's what she was, that's what she was hoping for. And so that's why she wanted to go see the man of God. And so, so her husband, who said, what do you need to go see the man of God for? He was wise enough to say, woman, you do what you want, right? And so verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God says, said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to her, meet her, and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? How's your mom and them? So that's what he was doing. Everything is all right, she said. So she's still holding on to that hope. The whole trip that she had, who knows how long it took her to get to Mount Carmel. But she arrives there, and even though she's disappointed, even though she's scared, she says to him, It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. And then verse 28, she does what all of us want to do and maybe do at some point in our life. She just lets the man of God have it. She doesn't hold back. 
She's been saying, it's all right, everything's all right, but now she has that moment where she just blows it out and she says to him, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? And maybe you've been in a situation like that where, where something, something that you, you felt like God told you to do it and it didn't work out and you're like, God, you told me to do this. I, I had lunch with a guy this past week. And he was telling me a story about how he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt God told him to quit his job. And after a year, he had not found another job yet. And he said, he said I was praying one day, and I'm not going to say, I'm going I'm to use the, the initials so that, you know, y'all, y'all act like y'all never heard this word before. But he said, I was praying one day, and he said, I looked up and I said, God, this is a bunch of BS. And here's the cool thing about that, is when he said that, God wasn't like, oh my gosh. I can't believe that he said that to me. Because in his heart, he had already been saying, this is a bunch of BS for a long time before. And finally, he just said it out loud, and God knew that. And the same way with this, when, when this Shunammite woman, when she's had enough, and when she said, did I ask you for this? I didn't even ask for this blessing. And now it's caused me depression, and it's caused me anger, and it's caused me pain. And God, when, when he heard that, he didn't say, oh, that's an evil Shunammite woman. What he said was, as he said, she's dealing with this the way anybody else would deal with it. And he already knew that she was going through that, and she was just getting it out and do it, saying that to the man of God. And maybe you've, maybe you've been like that. You, you've been through something and you say, God, this wasn't even something I wanted to do. This wasn't even my plan. And now I'm in emotional and mental and spiritual distress as a result of what you told me to do. Of what you did in my life. It's caused me pain. Because, see, we have this immature idea that as long as we follow the path of God, that we never are going to be unhappy, we're never going to experience pain, and everything is going to be roses and harps playing and A.C. in the summer and heat in the winter, and it's just going to be perfect. That's what we have this idea of, and that's not the way it works. So let's go on with the story. Verse 29, Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt. I, by the way, I think at this point Elisha was saying, man, i got to do something. I've done tick this woman off. And the Shunammite woman is going to come get me. Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. That's kind of the first weird thing in this story. And there's some weirder stuff later. I love what she says in verse 30. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. She, so he got up and followed her. She's saying to him, don't just send some servant with a stick. You come into my house. You started this thing, you coming with me. We're going to finish it together. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Now, this is where it gets kind of weird, all right? This is, this is a story that they probably didn't tell you in Sunday school, and this verse 34 might be why, because it would just scare kids. Listen to what Elisha did. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy mouth to mouth, 
eyes to eyes, hands to hands. Now, it says in verse 33 that Elisha spent some time praying. I'm just hoping that God said, Elisha, lay on the boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hand to hand. That's what I'm thinking happened there. But you know what it could have been? Elisha could have been doing what a lot of us pastors do. He was just trying stuff. I don't know. I ain't never been in this situation. We're going to, uh, let me try this. Let me just lay on the boy, see what happens, you know? Y'all think, y'all think that like me and Donnie, we got all the answers and we know everything. And listen, sometimes we're just trying stuff, you know, hope, hoping it's good. Well, let's give this a shot, see if this will work. So as he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Now, I'm hoping Elisha got his mouth off the boy's mouth before this sneezing started. Seven times. He probably at least got one of them, you know, where it's like, oh, God, he's sneezing, you know. But he sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. So the boy has come back to life. God has, has done a second miracle. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came in, he said, take your son. Now that is a weird story. That's a story that any of you could tell me stories that happened in your life and nothing has happened to you like that. So what does that mean for us today? You know, the thing about our life is, is that if you've been on this earth any period of time at all, you've experienced promises. You've experienced somebody making you a promise, and you've experienced someone breaking a promise. And chances are, uh, there, there are many of you in here that you're carrying around baggage still to this day from promises that have been broken by other people in your past. I got a good friend of mine who he, he t- has told me a story that happened to him 45 years earlier about how his dad, his parents were divorced and his dad lived in another state and his dad would promise, boy, I'm going to come pick you up this summer and we're going to go and we're going to ride across the country. We're going to do this and do that. And summertime came and went, never heard from his daddy. And here's a man in his 50s now, still to this day, when he tells the story, I can hear the pain in his voice. He's carrying around the baggage from the broken promise of a dad. Maybe you're there, maybe you had a broken promise from a mom or a dad and you carry that around. Some of you carry around the, the baggage of a broken promise from a, from a marriage relationship. You stood before a pastor and, and both of you said, till death do us part. And you didn't know that for your husband, till death do you part meant until, you know, some trashy looking girl walks in his office and he can get something going on with her. You know, and, that, and so, so you've dealt with that and you're living with the broken promise of a marriage relationship, and, and that's weighing you down. And, and if you've, any time of any part of life you've, you've been in, you, you've dealt with broken promises. But the thing is about promises, there's levels of promises. Now, if I, if I came up to you and said, hey, I promise I'm going to buy you a pack of gum next week. Man, I got this Orbit gum this week. It was so awesome. I had a dirty mouth, and I ate it, and now it's clean, right? And so I just want to share that with you. I want to share the blessing that I got from Orbit gum. I'm going to buy you a pack. I'm going to have it here next Sunday. And you show up to church next Sunday, and you probably hadn't even thought about it all week, but you go get some coffee, and you get that stank coffee breath that you get, right? And, uh, and, and so you're, you taste your, oh, man, oh, Cliff said he was going to buy me some gum. And so you find me walking around the atrium or whatever. You come up to me down here after the service, and you say, 
hey, man, can I get that gum you said you were going to buy me? I'm like, oh, man, I didn't even think about that. I'm sorry. That's a broken promise, but it's a pack of gum. You probably wouldn't think a whole lot less of me. You just would think I was weird for promising to buy you a pack of gum in the first place. But what if I came up to you one day and said, you know what? Me and Sherry have been blessed financially. God's just pouring out his blessings. And I feel led. We prayed about it. I feel led to buy you a house. We can afford it. We just got to give us a little time. We got to get some things together. Got to move some stuff around in our massive portfolio that we have. This is really a dream right here, you know. And so I tell you that, you know, give me, give me six months. Just give me six months. We're going to get you this house. And you're renting and you've never been able to afford your own house. And immediately the moment I tell you that, you start dreaming about that house. And you start, you go and you put a down payment on a washer and dryer because you don't have one. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you're telling your kids, man, we're going to have a house. Pastor Cliff's going to buy us a house. It's going to be awesome. You know, and about three months into it, I haven't said anything to you. So you're coming up to me at church. Hey, Cliff, man, I've been praying for you, and I, you know, I know God's blessing you. I just wanted to remind you about that house. Yeah, yeah, I'm still working on that. About six months later, you know, when I tell you the house is going to be there, and, and you come to me, what about that house? And I'm like, oh, man, things didn't work out. I couldn't get you that house. That's a, that's a much different deal, isn't it, than I was going to buy you a pack of gum. I and mean, there's levels of promises. Well, what about the highest level of promises there are? The highest level of promises there are are the promises of God. I mean, we... We read the Bible, and it is full of promises from God. I mean, page after page after page of stuff. God will do this if you ask Him, and God will do that. And stories about God fulfilling His promises. There are pages. In fact, if you grew up in a a traditional church like me, we even had a song about that, how we're standing on the promises of God. And so we we bank on those promises. We we read the Scripture, and we put our hope in those promises. We, We make our future plans based on those promises. So what happens? What happens when, when you, what you read in Scripture seems to not be fulfilled in your life? Let's say you've got somebody in your life that you love dearly, a, a son or a daughter, a, a husband or a wife, and, and they're diagnosed with cancer. And the doctor says, you know, we're going to try this treatment, but there's no guarantee, and, and we really don't think, you know, the prognosis is not good. We're going to give you maybe three to six months to live. And so what do you do? You go to the Bible. You're reading the Bible, and you see where Jesus himself said, whatever you ask in my name, I will give you. And then you read along, and you you read these stories about miraculous healings. And so you say, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for healing. We believe in it. We believe in complete healing from God. We believe every word of the Bible is true. Why would God put it in there if he's not going to heal my husband, my wife, my son, or my daughter? So you start praying. You get a prayer chain going. You get people here praying. We pray up here on the stage for you. We lay hands on this kid who's got cancer. And we pray and we believe that it's going to happen. And they still die. Or God tells you to start your own business. You know he's told you to do it. You quit your job. You start this business. And you believe, you know what, I'm going to start this business. I'm going to run it by the principles of Scripture. I'm not going to have any shady business principles. I'm going to be completely above board and honest. And I'm going to treat my employees the right way. And you run this business the way God tells you to do. And you're praying over it every day. And then the market crashes and you lose the business. Or maybe you're trying to have a baby. You read in Scripture stories like this where people who were said could never have babies. 
they have a baby. And there's other stories of Scripture like that. You pray over that. You get other people praying. And you believe, why would God not want me to have a baby? I, I want to raise this child in the, the instruction of the Lord. <coughs> and all around you, other people are having babies. And month after month, year after year goes by. And it never happens. What then? What does that say about the Bible and our faith? And our God. Let's go back to the story just a minute. In the story, who receives the promise from God? Say it out loud. Who receives the promise? Who receives it? The Shunammite woman. Say Shunammite with me. All right. Today at lunch, I want you to practice saying Shunammite. In fact, Shunammite's a good thing to say like you hit your... You know, thumb with a hammer. Ah, shoot a mite. It's better than what you normally would say, right? The Shunammite woman is the one who receives the promise, right? Now, who made the promise to her? Who made the promise? Elisha. Who was Elisha speaking for? God. Exactly. So the Shunammite woman receives the promise, but it was God who made the promise. And when the promise died on her lap, what did she do? Where did she take that boy? Do you remember what the story said? I didn't really focus on it, but did she take that boy back to his own room and put him in his own bed? No. Where did she take him? She took him upstairs to the bed of the man of God. She took the promise that God made and said, God gave me this promise and this promise has died. I'm going to take it back to God. I'm going to take it and put it back at the feet of God. I'm going to put it on the bed of the man of God. And when the promise in our life seems to have died, we've got to do the same thing. We've got to take it back to God because the responsibility is on the one who made the promise. In a promising agreement, the responsibility is on the one who made the promise. If I promise to buy you a house, it's not your responsibility to come up with a house. It's my responsibility. I made the promise. If God promises to do something in your life, it's His responsibility. And so we take the promise back to Him. So what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, there's a verse of Scripture in the New Testament that I think answers all these questions. And it's 2 Corinthians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.20. If you're taking notes, be sure you write down 2 Corinthians 1.20 so that you can go back and look at it again. This is something you ought to memorize. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are, say it with me, yes, in Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. All the promises of God that we read about in Scripture all the promises of God that we bank on, that sometimes we feel like aren't being fulfilled in our life, you know where they're fulfilled? They're fulfilled in Jesus. What Jesus did for us on the cross and through the resurrection, the fact that he died on the cross, the fact that he came back to life, and because of that, we can have salvation, we can have forgiveness of sins, we can have an abundant life here on earth, we can have an eternal life in heaven. Those promises are the fulfillment of every promise 
God has made. So if you're asking for healing for someone, the answer is yes in Christ. If you're, you're asking for help with your business that's failing, the answer is yes in Christ. If you're asking for, for help with this empty nursery that you have at your house, the answer is yes in Christ. Because the, the thing is, we live in a broken world. And, and this broken world we live in, we're broken by sin. The world is broken by sin. And because of that, this world we live in is it's full of defeats and it's full of disease and depression and disappointment. But Jesus can overcome all of that. He's defeated all of that through the cross. And even though we don't get what we ask for or hope for, we get Jesus and he is the fulfillment of all God's promises. Now, I'm not saying that to make light at all of any kind of struggle you've been through. I'm not saying that to say, yeah, you know, it's real sad that your daddy died of cancer, but you still got Jesus. But the scripture says here that for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And then the last part says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You know what amen means? It means so be it. Let it be. And so our response to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of all promises is just like the Shunammites woman response when she said, everything is all right. Whether this boy comes back to life or whether this boy stays dead, everything is all right. Whether I get cured of the cancer or whether I die from the cancer, everything is all right. Whether the business makes it or the business fails, everything is all right. Whether I have a child this year or I never have a child, everything is all right. I will speak the amen. I will say so be it because having Jesus is what's most important. See, the Shunammite woman experienced the full promise of God through the resurrection of her son. We experience the full promise of God through the resurrection of God's Son, through Jesus. And so the question I want to ask you today is simple. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Like I said a while ago, I don't, I don't want to discount anything you've struggled with. And I know this life deals us some pretty sorry situations and they're hard to go through but if you lost everything or gained everything is Jesus enough through the success and through the failure if you don't get healed if you don't get your money if you can't have the baby if you don't get the marriage relationship worked out is he enough he's the fulfillment of all God's promises even those that in your life and in my life sometimes seem like they're only partially fulfilled. We get ready to finish up. I just want to tell you that I teach up here and um, there are certain weeks that I feel like I'm teaching more for you. Not that I've got everything under control, but there are some weeks when I think, this is really for the folks out there and this area God's working on in my life, but I've kind of moved into a, a good position there. And I want to tell you today that this, this message today was as much for me as it was for you because I've been there. I've been at the place where I've said to God, God, you told me to do this. You, this was your idea, God, not my idea. 
now I'm dealing with pain and I can't sleep and I've got this garbage going on and I'm angry and I'm sad and I'm happy and sometimes all in the space of a minute and you did this to me, God. It's all because of you. And I needed to be reminded just like you needed to be reminded. I've had to come to the point in my life where I would say, if this is as good as it gets, Jesus is enough. If the best day of my life happened 10 years ago, Jesus is enough. Or if the best day of my life is still to come, when I get there, I'll remember Jesus is enough and it's not about me. So this is what I want us to do to finish up. I'm going to pray. And when I pray, I'm just going to kind of talk through a couple of situations of where you might be in your life. So don't zone out during the prayer. And as I talk through that, if you need to deal with Jesus, you deal with it right there. When I'm done praying, we're going to sing a song. And we're going to go out of here excited. And we're going to remember this week that whether we lose a job or get a job, whether we get diagnosed with a disease or get news that the disease is being cured, whether we win the publisher's clearinghouse or lose $100,000, whether we wreck a car or get a new car, that Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father God, remind me this week that your son Jesus is enough. Lord, I understand that there are people here today that don't even have a relationship with Jesus. So, Father, if there's anybody here that's in that situation, I pray that right now they would realize that Jesus can't be enough if you don't have him and so that they would accept him now. They would ask for forgiveness of their sins and they would trust Jesus to do that in their life. And, Father, there's a large group of people here today who already trust you but maybe they've dealt with disappointment and sadness and they've prayed to you and they've begged you and they don't see where you're at work. Remind them today about their relationship with Jesus. Take them back to that and Lord, let them take their unfulfilled promise let them take their disappointment and lay it at the feet of Jesus at the cross. Thank you for fulfilling all of your promises through your Son. Help me, help everybody in this room this week to remember that and help us to live as he lived. And we ask these in the name of Jesus.